This is ShimmyCast episode 24, a podcast for fans and dancers of Middle Eastern dance. And I'm your host, Danella Rabari. And again, we have a great episode for this week. We have our usual event announcements and answers to the question of the week. Uh, we have a review of the DVD Arabian Dance Fever and an article by Salome. The music for this week's show is DJ Carey and Hawksman. Submissions for the article contest will not be due November 6th. That's right. Uh, we're going to be extending that deadline. So you guys will have some more time to work on your articles. So you don't have to rush around and think, oh my gosh, this is due next week. It's not. Um, I will be getting back to you with the new deadline. Uh, so don't worry about it. Uh, just... Remember that the guidelines are the same as the previous contest. You can check those out on the forum board. And review submissions are always accepted. Just send them to shimmycast at gmail.com. So let's get started with answers to the question of the week. So we have answers to the question, do you use a dance name and why? Our first answer is from Deer from Kissimmee, Florida, and she writes on the message board, I do not, I do not dance professionally yet. Too much of a baby dancer. When I do, I plan to use the name Le Duna. In English, it means the dune. I am, let's say, goddess size curvy and proud of it just like a dune big and with sensuous form <laughs> she left a little laughing smiley face too thanks for the great podcast keep on the good job dear well thank you for that information and it's good to know that some of our more voluptuous girls are out there taking pride in their bodies and um it's never too early to start using your dance name. If you have one picked out, go ahead and use it. Even if you aren't dancing professionally, maybe you're just dancing in student recitals or something like that, go ahead. You've got the name. Put it to use, girl. <laughs> Suya from Vermont posted on the message board, The main reason I use a dance name is that it's fun. I really enjoy playing around with names, and I will always grab an opportunity to try a new name for a while. On a more serious note, another reason I've chosen to use a dance name can best be explained by an analogy. There is a tradition in many religions in which novices select or are bestowed with a spiritual name. My understanding is that, in at least some traditions, the name is both an indication of the student's gifts and, at the same time, a goal to aspire to. And finally, a dance name helps me leave the ordinary world behind and become the sensuous, graceful, elegant dancer that lurks behind my everyday facade. I've chosen Suya because it's short, easy to pronounce, and to remember. It has a zippy kind of energy to it, and mostly because it reminds me of Ansuya. I hope that using a name similar to hers will help me emulate her grace, energy, and discipline. And thanks for that post, Suya. Yeah, you, you have a lot of great points. 
in your comments, and a lot of those I'm actually have been researching, and um, they're going to be expounded on in the article that I'm writing about using dance names. So all of you now have a little tidbit of what this article is probably going to be covering. <laughs> um, I will say, I hope none of you are shocked, but Anala Rabari is my dance name. Uh, it's not the name given to me by my parents. Um, it's Hindi, and I I had a tough time choosing my dance name. I know I've talked to other dancers, and they've told me that it's the custom in their troops that the um, directors or instructors bestow names upon them. Um, other people have, have said that, you know, their husbands have given them their names, friends have suggested them. Um, I started out with a list of like 89 names I was thinking about. <laughs> I know that's crazy. <laughs> and all my friends were picking on me and they were like, you know, you can always change it later. And I'm just the type of person I was like, no, I'm picking it out and I'm picking it out now. And it's going to be the perfect name for me. And that's what I'm going with. There's no going back. So, um, it was a long, lengthy process for me. I had names from all kinds of cultures. Um, I looked at Polynesian, uh, Hindi, Arabic, um, Muslim, uh, Jewish, Hebrew, uh, ancient uh, Celtic, you know, Irish, Scottish, the ancient languages of those countries, uh, Chinese. I think I even looked at Japanese, um, some Maori from like the New Zealand area. I, I looked at everything. I was leaving no stone unturned. <laughs> and finally it dawned on me, um, I had been using the screen name Sassy Red Gypsy on a lot of forum boards and things that I post on. Um, cause some of my friends had given me the nickname Sassy and um, the Red Gypsy just came about because I have red hair and I'm a belly dancer. So a lot of people are like, oh, you're doing the whole gypsy thing. Um, so that's how I got that screen name. And then I was like, you know, this is already my screen name. I should just figure out some way to turn this into a dance name. Uh, Sassy was very hard to translate into another language. <laughs> um there aren't too many names out there that, you know, mean sassy or, you know, impertinent and saucy. <laughs> you know, any kind of synonym that you could think of for sassy. And, of course, Red and Gypsy were pretty easy to find. And it ended up, I found Anala, which is Hindi um, for fiery. And I thought, well, fiery can mean the color red, or it could mean like a fiery attitude or a sassy attitude. So um, that's how I came up with Anala. And then Rabari is actually the name of a nomadic people in India who make these beautiful embroidery, um, embroidered garments and things, a lot of which I have seen dancers using in costumes. So I was just like, oh, that's that's perfect for, you know, the term gypsy. So that's how I got my, my dance name, and I love it. And it took me about 
a year <laughs> to pick it out. <laughs> so, um, that, yeah, that's just kind of my story. And I love to talk to other dancers about how they got their names and how they chose them and the process that they go through. Um, cause I really feel it says something about them as people and about them as dancers. And that's one of the reasons why I'm really enjoying researching this article for you guys that I hope to have in the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned. We're going to be talking more about dance names. And now your ShimmyCast news. October 31st, the Belly Dance Superstars will be performing in Tulsa, Oklahoma. November 1st, the Belly Dance Superstars will be performing in Wichita, Kansas. November 2nd, Asim, Cammie Little, and Sonia of the Belly Dance Superstars will all be having separate workshops in Wichita, Kansas. November 2nd through 5th, Leala Oriental Dance Festival in Stockholm, Sweden. November 3rd through 5th, Second Estonia Oriental Dance Festival with Ashraf Mahdi and top teachers from Estonia, Finland, and Latva in Tallinn, Estonia. November 3rd through 5th, Celebrating Dance 2006 Retreat in Devon, United Kingdom. November 4th, Spread Your Veils and Fly Workshop in Northcote, Victoria, Australia. November 4th, the Belly Dance Superstars will be performing in Ames, Iowa. November 4th, Zoe of the Belly Dance Superstars will be having a workshop in Tulsa, Oklahoma. November 4th, costuming on the cheap and Egyptian stage makeup workshops, as well as a Belly Dance goodie sale in Germantown, Maryland. November 4th through 5th, third annual Boston Belly Dance Awards workshop and show with Virginia, Amar Gamal, and more in Boston, Massachusetts. November 5th, the Belly Dance Superstars will be performing in Minneapolis, Minnesota. November 5th, Sonia of the Belly Dance Superstars will be having a workshop in Johnston, Iowa. November 5th, Kane Dance Workshop with Margot Abdo-Odell in Minneapolis, Minnesota. November 5th, Oriental Workshop in Zurich, Switzerland. The information for this event is not in English. November 8th, the Belly Dance Superstars will be performing in Madison, Wisconsin. November 9th, the Belly Dance Superstars will be performing in Grand Rapids, Michigan. November 10th, the 5th Icelandic Belly Dance Contest in Reykjavik, Iceland. November 10th, the Belly Dance Superstars will be performing in Royal Oak, Michigan. November 10th through 12th, Rachel Bryce and Keshi Chai in performance and workshops in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. November 11th, Jamila will have workshops in Halifax, England. November 11th, Gypsy Fire will be performing at Tulsa Expo Fairgrounds in Tulsa, Oklahoma. November 11th, Carnival of Stars in Hayward, California. November 11th, the Belly Dance Superstars will be performing in New Albany, Indiana. November 11th, Dancing with Fans in Dales Ford, Victoria, Australia. November 11th through 12th, Susanna Del Vecchio Workshops in Richmond, Virginia. November 11th through 12th, Amar of Las Vegas will be having workshops in Lima, Peru. November 11th through 12th, Ultra Gypsy will be having workshops in London, England. November 12th, 
Jamila will have workshops in Gainsborough, England. November 12th, the Belly Dance Superstars will be performing in Cincinnati, Ohio. November 12th, Zoe of the Belly Dance Superstars will be having a workshop in Cincinnati, Ohio. November 12th, Soulfire Belly Dance Academy presents Sand Swords and Sequins. This event will be in Australia. November 12th, Night of the Harem in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. This has been the ShimmyCast News for this week. And as always, you can find more information about all of these events on our forum board. A review of Arabian Dance Fever Belly Dance DVD by Anala Rabari. Based on image quality, hair, and costuming, I'm going to make the assumption that this is an older VHS that has been converted to DVD and re-released. Also based on sets, hair, costumes, moves, and the fact that it reminds me of the old solid gold music TV show, I'm going to guess that this was probably made in the 1980s, if not earlier. There are eight chapters in this DVD, and be warned that there is a website crawler at the bottom of the screen a few times in all the chapters for the company that produced this project, which is a little annoying. The first two chapters are Nagwa Fad and Troop performing to Ballady Thriller by Mustafa Helmoud. There's some gimmicky camera work going on to make it appear that the dancer magically changes costumes in the middle of the song, and you have the usual annoyance of facial close-ups when you'd rather have a mid or full body shot, like you do with every program. I found myself annoyed with the background dancers several times and just wished they would get out of the way so you could concentrate on the main dancer, who was very good. On the whole, I found it very educational for me to watch these particular chapters as a guidepost for the evolution of stage shows and costuming and belly dance. The third chapter is the Veils and Incense Dance Troupe performing to Inta Amri. A placard introduces each member individually. I have to say that I hope this is not indicative of all troupe dancing at the time it was made. Mostly it was a solo with background dancers doing accent moves. A few times, two other dancers would do some joint choreography with her, and towards the end, everyone got a little more into the act. I found this piece most interesting, again, because of the evolution you could see in costuming movement, and the difference in what I know to be troop dancing, which is a more synchronized dance. But I also found it interesting for the same moves that I have seen dozens of times, such as the one where everyone stands in a straight line facing the audience and the front girls drop to different levels and then they do some really cool arm poses. Even after 20 years, that move isn't old. And that's just amazing. The fourth chapter is Shira dancing to original melodies by Saeed Darwish and Dr. Sami Farag. 
In my opinion, this routine looked the most timeless. The costume was a traditional coin bra, split panel skirt, and coin belt. They did some interesting split screenshots with a full body shot on one side of the screen and then a face close up on the other side. I found the choreography to be very traditional and timeless as well. There were times that I found the music to be a little dated because of the use of some synthesizers, but on the whole, I found this routine very refreshing compared to the first two. Chapter 5 is Saida dancing to Hibina. Um, again, we have a traditional cabaret costume that more people are probably used to seeing and expecting, and the music is more traditional as well. Again, this piece was more timeless and something that I could see being danced at my local Hofla. Chapter 6 is the Lei Alina Folkloric Dance Ensemble dancing to Aoenya. This group is a trio of two men and a woman, and I found it interesting because part of the music um, that they were dancing to is used in a tribal fusion piece that I was taught a year or so ago. I thought the clothing was interesting as well, and I liked that the men looked like they were men. They were wearing shirts tucked into pants and boots. I think all too often in today's dance, men end up looking like they're wearing ladies' hip scarves and not their own clothing. <laughs> the lady took a solo in the middle and did some very nice handkerchief work. On the whole, though, I thought the routine looked like a cross between Russian folk dance and Irish step dance. And I don't mean that as an insult. It was just unexpected in a belly dance video. But then maybe that's because I haven't seen much folkloric dance. And it's supposed to look like a cross between Russian folk dance and Irish step dance. <laughs> Chapter 7 and 8 is Nabila in a live stage show at a nightclub with a live band. And I'm assuming this is probably very a, a very good example of a typical nightclub show. Um, I've never seen a dancer with veils attached to their bra straps like she had, and then they were removed later. So I thought that was really creative and unexpected. Uh, her headpiece, though... <laughs> It kept throwing me off because I've only seen tiaras that big on beauty queens. It was like, woo, look at that crown. For her second dance, she came out with her veil attached around her neck like Isis wings without the rods in them. And it was a beautiful flowing piece. The third song she did was a cane routine in which a drummer joined her dancing around the stage. I found it interesting that she did floor work with her cane because most people in my area just do floor work without props or with a sword and not the cane. Like you, you would never see the cane used in floor work in this area. Um, her, her portion of the program ends with a traditional dance that you would expect from any kind of nightclub performance. I have to say, on the whole, I think this is a good program to rent so you can see for yourself and share with friends and students the evolution of our dance form. Good dancing is timeless. Unfortunately, costumes aren't always. <laughs> Thank you.
this week's first song is Nighty Girl from the album Synthesis of Five by Hawksman.
emails and feedback. So first four weeks posted on the message board. I thought I'd point out that YouTube is a great resource for belly dance videos. You can see everything from newbies, okay performances, and amateur video, all the way up to fantastic stuff from the Indigo, Isadora, the belly dance superstars, and fantastic performances by people who aren't so well known yet. Thought you'd like a heads up. Well, thank you, first four weeks, for that suggestion. Um, I have been aware of YouTube for a while, um, and that it has quite a lot of belly dance videos. Um, and I'm sorry, I've been remiss to mention it on the show before. I actually don't pursue YouTube that much myself. Um, one of the girls in my troop sends me links to videos on it every few weeks or so, and I love them. It's just, I never seem to have enough time to look on YouTube for stuff on my own. <laughs> so, um, and that kind of leads me to the thing I need to talk to you guys about next, which is uh, speaking about time. Uh, this is kind of a serious issue. If you guys haven't already started thinking about it, let me be the first to bring it up to you. The holidays are fast approaching. I know. Can you believe it? It is fixing to be freaking November. And I've been thinking really hard about what this means for the show. And I hope my idea won't disappoint you all. My proposal is to not have a show the week of Thanksgiving. That's November 3rd. 23rd for all of my listeners not in the U.S. who probably wouldn't be celebrating Thanksgiving. Um, and then after that, starting the following week, the show will be produced every other week until January 15th. I hope you all understand it takes a lot to produce a weekly show and I'm not sure I can keep up with the demand of producing a weekly show during all the craziness of the holiday season without the quality of the show suffering and I want you guys to always receive the best show I can possibly give you. Um, Plus, you know, the holidays are a really special time, and I'm sure you guys are going to be spending most of that time with your friends and family, just like I am, and you probably aren't going to have as much time to listen to a weekly podcast, just like I'm not going to have enough time to produce one. So I think that um, this is a pretty good compromise for me, um, if you guys don't mind, <laughs> which I hope you don't, because... That's just what it's going to be. <laughs> Unless somebody has like a really awesome suggestion to of something else that can be done. Um, and I, I, I know you guys will all be cool with it and everything. And also, I wanted to get your guys' feedback on the uh, events listing section. Um, I'm just curious. Is it beneficial? Is it being beneficial to you guys or not? Is it too long? Is it too short? Um, do, do I cover too many weeks? Um, do I cover not enough? I, I'm just kind of looking for some feedback, particularly on that section, because I, I don't know how useful it is to you guys, and I want to give you guys a useful show. So if you could, just email me back your thoughts on the events listings, and let me know particularly what you're thinking about it. 
And if you have any other comments or suggestions for the show, email them to shimmycast at gmail.com. You can post on the forum board. Um, you can leave comments on the blog. Uh, send us an audio. You know, vote. Podcast Alley, Podcast Pickle. It's really simple. Just go to the blog and click on the links there to vote for us. And uh, leave reviews on iTunes. And don't forget the Frapper Mouth. This week's article is Faux or For Real by Salome. Once a woman told me that I was not a, quote, real oriental dancer because I did not emulate the Egyptian style. I think her statement may be indicative of a common but misguided conception about authenticity. No one country has authority to claim ownership as the origins of oriental dance. It is indigenous to many countries. Some countries maintain a higher profile because of opportunity for performance within those countries and related media. That being said, what is an authentic presentation of a folk dance? Simplistically, one performs a dance that is specific to a particular ethnic group in a particular country and specific region. One uses the exact type of music that group uses, the exact type of dress, down to the pattern of embroidery. One emulates not only the movements, but in the style those movements are made. One presents the mood, expression, and the spirit in which the dance is done as closely as possible to the original group. Speaking strictly on oriental dance, we should consider that when we emulate performance art from a particular country, we are emulating style. What is style? Style is trend. Trend can be formed to suit a political climate or by popular figures according to personal taste, experimentation, expression, and the like. In time, trends can become standard practice. Consider, commonly in Egyptian rock sharky, a dancer will enter with a veil held behind her body. The veil is held high, used as a backdrop, and discarded early in the routine. Samia Gamal, an oriental dance star, started that trend. She studied from Avnova, a famous Russian ballet dancer, and she instructed Gamal to use a piece of fabric in this fashion as a way of improving her arm carriage. Others picked up that practice, and it caught on. In the same breath, emulation should be executed with care. Because a dancer in Egypt wears a spandex dress that barely covers her rear end, or does something very experimental, doesn't mean one should follow suit in the quest to be authentic. In the words of Morocco, I'm in Egypt, and there are real Egyptians. Therefore, what I'm seeing is real, right? Wrong. You have to know what you are looking at to make a distinction between creative license and standard practice. The subject of purity is even further blurred by the strong Russian influence on Oriental dance in the Middle East. Russian ballet instructors were imported to Egypt and the National Folklore Troupe of Egypt, as well as the most gifted Egyptians, were sent to study in Russia. According to Morocco, 
quote, choreography of even the folklore was supervised and influenced by Soviet pseudo-ethnic styling, and all the young dancers were trained by Soviet dance teachers, end quote. I bring up these points to illustrate that the very nature of performance art is exploration. That has certainly been true of Oriental dance in the Middle East. Bearing that in mind, can one represent a dance as authentic when it has, is, and will be altered? You bet. Cairo trends can be observed and presented as Egyptian Oriental dance. With research and study, any number of Middle Eastern folk dances can be presented, quote, authentically. If you have researched a dance style or folk dance, present it as factual. It can be a source of education and information for the dance community and your audience. If you do interpretive dance, then call it so. There is no shame in great theater. So I hope you all enjoyed that article from Salome. Um, and now I want to give you the question of the week for next week. And that is, who are some of your favorite dancers? When you answer this, I want you to think on the local level, the national level, and the international level. I particularly would love you guys to um, discuss some of the, the dancers that are your favorites on a local level because you never know when a fellow listener is going to be traveling through your area and you make a recommendation and you say, this is my favorite dancer in this area. If you're ever in this area, you should go seek them out and see them perform because they are awesome and they're going to one day be the future superstar of belly dancing. So, you know, tell us some local people, but then also, you know, let us know who your favorite, you know, belly dance superstar is right now, you know. And all of that kind of stuff. So we can really have a, a wide variety of answers here. So to answer, you can send an email to shimmycast@gmail.com. You can go to the forum board at shimmycast.blogspot.com. And remember, new listeners, feel free to answer our previous questions, and I'll share those. You know, it doesn't matter how old the question is. It'll get shared on air. Gosh, wow. That's about it for this show, which is really kind of crazy. Um, the shows have been running a bit long lately, haven't they? <laughs> um, but it's a good thing. I'm, I'm actually a bit busy just to tell you guys what's going on. My troupe this weekend is actually performing at the Silver Summit Conference on Successful Aging here in Rogers, Arkansas. And we're really excited about it because there are going to be some Congress people. And, and we're not entirely sure. We haven't heard yet if they're going to be, um, uh, senators or representatives or even if they're going to be men or women we were just told they're going to be some congress people there um as well as some people involved with um the alzheimer's institute and um i think the arthritis foundation and just some other people and we got involved in this because one of my students this semester is the director of a senior citizen center here in the area and she just really got interested in 
belly dance and the effects it can have on the body and successful aging. And um, we all know we all get benefits from belly dance. You know, it helps us, you know, keep up our muscle tone and muscle use and flexibility and, you know, stretchability and, you know, just giving us a really good workout with being too hard on the body so she actually came up and said hey will you guys actually do a presentation so we're going to be talking about uh, belly dance and its effects on health and then uh, doing a little demonstration we're going to be getting them up out of their seats a little participation going on and then a performance so that's uh, really exciting and then uh, pretty soon I'll be going on my trip to Chicago, and you guys have been giving me lots of good information on that. And like I said last week, I'm still like drooling over all this food that I'm reading about, and I'm like, I can't wait. I'm going to get some pizza. We're going to get some good Mediterranean food, and we've been reading about some sushi bars and, you know, oh, and the blues clubs. We've been reading about all the blues clubs, and it's like, ooh, which blues club do we want to go to? And which restaurant do we want to go and see dancers? So, gosh, we're only going to be there for like three days. And it's like, how do we fit all this in three days? <laughs> so, uh, be looking forward to a report when I get back from that. And until then, oh, oh, the second song of the week. I almost forgot. <laughs> the second song of the week. This song is Om Asatomo Sad Gamea from the album Eastern Grooves by DJ Carey. So sorry, I almost forgot you guys. Um, I hope you all enjoy it, and until next week, this is Anala Rabari saying shimmy on!
Thanks again for listening to ShimmyCast. You can leave us feedback at shimmycast at gmail.com and be sure to visit our website and forum at www.shimmycast.blogspot.com. Remember, the opinions expressed are those of the host and the podcast crew. Thanks again.